and welcome to The Trumpet, the official podcast of Elephant Room Productions. As always, I am your host, Robert Jean Pileccio. This month, I am speaking to our most recent uh, Philadelphia uh, ears reading playwright, Brianna Keller. Brianna, thank you for coming on today. Of course, my pleasure. Now, in a little bit, we are going to be talking about Brianna Keller's uh, play, The Third Bride, which has been slightly unlike the last couple plays that we have worked on. Um, well, not totally unlike. We actually did uh, we did one recently that had uh, somewhat of a supernatural element to it. Um, okay. I say somewhat of a supernatural element, um, considering that one of the main characters is a ghost, um, and is the other one is trying to track down ghosts. So a predominant supernatural theme. Um, but... But that's a uh, that's a previous episode we can all check out on iTunes. Um, but thank you. Uh, also, before I even ask you about your theater background, um, I'm a little tickled pink that you actually uh, told me right before the interview that you went back and listened to some previous episodes on uh, iTunes. So thank you for that. Oh, I always love, yeah, I always love to know that. I I always think it's interesting when guests kind of try to see what they're getting themselves into by checking it out. Yeah. Um, so I'm I hope- definitely, I'm definitely someone that like likes to be prepared. So I figured, you know, might as well check it out and know <laughs> exactly what the, what the layout is and and you know, kind of your interview style and everything. And I really enjoyed the other episodes, so I'm I'm super happy I get the chance to chat with you. Well, uh, as you might have heard from the previous episodes, um, I am also someone that likes to try to be prepared for interviews and always goes off the rail. <laughs> I'm trying to remember how long our last episode. Uh, we, how long I focused on a Harry Potter book that was on Tess's shelf behind her before we actually got to talking about her playwriting. But that's just, that's the, the fun, inquisitive guy I am. So Yeah, I deviate... and I was going to say, you shouldn't even bring up Harry Potter with me because I'll go on a tangent too. <laughs> well, here we go. Um, you, you know, um, you can't tell this because we're having this interview over the phone, but I do have a Deathly Hallows tattoo on my leg. And I have, oh, right on. I've talked about it in previous uh, podcast episodes, but... I teach creative camps at Hedgerow Theater over the summer, and one of our themes is, it's, they're, all, they're all weekly themes, like pirate adventure or fairies and goblins or things mm-hmm. like that. Inevitably, there's always a wizard theme, and we make it into um, a, you know, kind of Harry Potter takeoff. So I teach people, I have everybody get sticks and make wands out of tape and paint. Uh, we teach them spells through improv games, basically. Um... One of my favorite ones to do is the um, the Boggart game. We have a, uh, mm-hmm. I just teach them the ridiculous spell, how to turn a Boggart into something funny. But I always say yes, that we've lost, yes. I always say we've lost our funding for Boggart. So each child has to take a turn um, portraying what scares them the most, whether it's a mummy or a uh-huh. werewolf or something. And then when the rest of the class shouts ridiculous, that child needs to turn the thing they're doing into something funny. Which, Aww, based on the creative, based on the creativity of the children, usually just involves whatever the thing is falling down. Um, <laughs> yeah, or a silly face or something like that. <laughs> well, here we go. Five and a half minutes into the episode, we've not talked. I know. We've not made one <laughs> comment about your about theater, <laughs> or really you. It's just been all about me and Harry Potter. So let's shift I, on to I you, uh, if we, if okay. you wouldn't mind, um, and I can pick your brain about your theater background. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, before I really uh, turned to theater, I was, I just always kind of thought of myself as a storyteller. Like when I was little, I was just the kid that was making up stories left and right. And I was, 
you know, spooking the neighborhood kids and telling them that a witch lived on our street. And like, I would just make up stuff like all the time. And then once I learned how to actually spell, I started writing down little stories. And um, so I've really been writing my whole life. And it wasn't until I was like, around um, 15 or 16 that uh, for whatever reason, I just kind of uh, shifted towards writing scripts in particular. Um, I think that I just got, yeah, really interested in like um, in, in dialogue itself and like how we talk to each other and how we, um, you know, how that, how we talk to each other shifts based on what type of situation we're in. Um, and also like how we uh, avoid talking to each other um, and the subtext of that. Um, so I was in high school and I did a couple of, um, you know, plays for um, my drama uh, classes and stuff like that. And then when it came time to, you know, apply to college and like figure out what you want to do with your life, I um, really didn't know. I just knew that I really liked theater and I liked writing. So I went to school and, um, and focused on that. And um, it's kind of funny because like I, I come from a, a theater family, but we're all... Oh, wow. um, I, I, my family is in stage crew um, and has been for like over a hundred years. So it was kind of ironic. I think, you know, my parents always wanted me to like, you know, become a doctor or an accountant or something like that. But they, um, they, yeah. (laughs) So, um, you know, when I, when I said, I was like, Oh, I want to do theater. I could kind of see them being like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, it's a hard life, right. You know, Mm -hmm. like your, your dad's never home. Like he works long hours and I'm like, I know, but I I really do love it. Um, so nevertheless, I went to school for it and, um, and I went to Marymount Manhattan college and, um, I studied theater concentrating like in playwriting itself and also doing like writing for TV and screenplay writing and just like immersing myself in, in that. And, um, once I graduated, you know, life, is um, always unpredictable and I kind of I started um, getting myself out there and getting some of my work out there and then I went through a period of time um, about like three to four years when life just took me in a totally different direction and I like stopped writing completely and um, I was working like a really demanding job and um, you know I still had some sort of a, a align into like the theater world because I worked in wardrobe for a long time um, but I wasn't actually writing and like producing anything Um, and then around like two years ago I kind of had like you know my quarter life crisis and I was like okay I need to like restart my life over and like you know kind of hit the reset button and um, the and so I kind of I quit my job and I um, I just kind of decided to start over and one of the things that was you know number one like on the list is like I just need to start writing again and um, also kind of like figuring out what type of writer I am and like how I produce things like I'm a big deadline writer so if I didn't have someone else like holding me accountable I would right. kind of slack off and be a little lazy you know. So I started going to classes again and really like um, getting myself back into a schedule and a groove of things. And, um, and then like, you know, over the past year, um, I've felt more of a, an urgency to just kind of keep writing. Um, Cause I feel like I'm just in a, a point in my life where like I'm a little older now, you know, when I first graduated college, I was still like kind of young and insecure. And I was comparing myself to other playwrights. And I was like, Oh, so and so got this award. And I haven't even you know, I get rejected all the time. And so now, since I'm more like secure, and yeah, and and so now I just feel like I'm, I'm at a point where I'm like a lot more secure in just every aspect of my life in general, that it's kind of transformed into my 
playwriting as well. Um, so that's why it kind of feels like um, a really exciting time in like, you know, my life and, and my, my work. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of like the path that I've taken. And it's been um, interesting, because I also feel like there are certain um, things and certain plays, like certain topics that I, I know I'm supposed to write, but I'm not but when I think of them, it's not the right time for it. Um, and that's kind of also how this play in particular kind of came about, because it's an idea that I had years and years and years and years ago, and it just wasn't the right time to write it. And then it was a one-act play years and years ago. And it oh, was wow. like, I knew it was supposed to be, yeah. And I was like, I knew it's supposed to be more, but I still, the timing just wasn't right. Before we go any further with your playwriting, I kind of am curious to dial back and ask you more about your childhood storytelling the like making up fables of <laughs> your neighborhood um because that's they it's it's really hit a spot with me because it makes me think back to um i was uh you know a little bit i was kind of both an extrovert and an introvert growing up and i mm-hmm. i did a similar thing for myself with you know i i i collected a lot of toys growing up i had so i have crates in my parents back room of transformers and dragon ball and digimon Mm -hmm. and pokemon like every everything from the era i grew up in and you know i I think back to you know the the toy commercials i would see growing up where the kids are just holding the toys going man i'm gonna get you bang bang optimus but not me i had a whole world with rules and you know the the various mythos from each world that the toys were from all coming into one it was a like, it, there would be points where I would lose sleep because I would just be sitting in my room yeah. thinking, like, okay, well, if he died now, how do we get him back? And how does that affect the rest of the team? So it's it sounds yeah. like, maybe not from the toy aspect, but it sounds like that might have been the beginning stages of uh, of your foray into the world of fiction. Just totally. like kind of just I... finding the stories wherever you could find them. Yeah, and, and I, I totally, um, like, uh, the, what you said about being, like, an introvert and an extrovert at the same time, I, I feel like I really relate to that because um, I'm, I was definitely, like, growing up as a kid, I, you know, I was, I, I was okay being by myself and, like, I was a really big reader and, you know, I loved watching TV and I had my dolls and, like, the same sort of thing. Like, I would just create these worlds and then I would want to go and share them with my brothers and the other kids in the neighborhood because I got so much pleasure out of, like, being entertained by books and, and television and movies and I wanted to, like, recreate that and give that pleasure to someone else. Um, so I think that that's kind of, like, where it comes from. Um, but, yeah, I think that also, like, world building is something that I enjoy doing so much. And it's why a lot of my work <clears throat> is a little bit, um, you know, <laughs> out there um, and, you know, why I go into these, like, really, like, I like writing period pieces and I like writing, you know, fantasy or sci-fi. Like, I like um, creating a world that's a little bit different than our own, but have elements that you can still recognize and relate to. And that was actually um, going to be my next so, question too: is the yeah. what, what is your what is your general you know style? Um, because it's it, it, because the the play in question, which we'll we'll dive into very soon, is um, what is the year again? I believe it's seventeen. Um, uh, seventeen ninety three. Seventeen ninety three. Um, yeah. The which I, I what was interesting for me is when we get to it I'll touch on this more but the the language did not seem to 
necessarily take me out. Um, mm-hmm. so, sometimes uh, we, we actually discuss it in the feedback that we've seen period pieces before where the language is so inundated in the mm-hmm. era that the play is written in that a modern audience can't really pick it up. But uh, right. I, I didn't get the sense of that at all. I knew... It, 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 not even in a sense that... Um, I don't mean to say that you didn't play with language because you definitely made it feel like uh, it was year appropriate, but it was very accessible. Um, yeah. So if you don't mind me asking, how, how many plays mm-hmm. have you written total that have been uh, either seen by the world or are still uh, possibly in development behind the curtain? So as far as full-length plays go, um, I've written about a, three, and I'm working on another one right now that I, um, I'm doing rewrites on. So three to four. Um, all of those um, have just kind of been um, in, like, workshopping phases and in class and stuff like that. So there hasn't been anything full-length that the, the rest of the world has seen. Um, but I've had a lot of um, one-acts in 10 minutes um, that have been done up in, you know, festivals and um you know, 10 minute play contests and stuff like that. Um, so yeah. And I, I think that I, one of the, one of the things I could sometimes, uh, struggle with when I'm writing my full length is this like element of, um, you know, is this play like producible? Like, you know, right, this play right. in particular, there's a lot of things that are, would be really hard to do on stage. And, um, and so sometimes I kind of would get myself like tripped up about that of like, my full lengths are so weird and like, you know, no one's going to, you know, this is going to be really hard to do and it's, it's going to scare the pants off a director and whatever the case may be. Um, but at the end of the, but at the end of the day, just kind of like, you know what, I'm compelled to tell this story. And for whatever reason, it comes to me as a, a theatrical work. You know, I've had some ideas come to me and I've envisioned them as like a screenplay. You know, I've seen them as a movie or like as a TV pilot. And I, you know, I'll jot down the ideas and I'll like work on it here and there. Um, but since my main focus has been for the theater, um, if it comes to me as a as a play, then that's just kind of how I have to write it, even if it's going to seem really, really difficult it, to actually like. It's put on so stage. funny you said that because the last three or four plays that we've read, um, I have, yours included, I have had the the com the first thing I say in the feedback is I read it and I think it would be wonderfully suited to be a film. And I yeah. I I'm not saying this play couldn't be produced on stage, but I I'm just my director eye was kind of going through the ways I would stage it versus the ways I would film it. Um but on that note, um since that's the direction we're veering towards anyway, um why don't you go ahead and just set up the third bride uh for those who have not gotten the chance to read it. Sure. Um, so the third bride is essentially a, um, a prequel to Dracula. Um, it's something that is teased in the beginning of the, of the play. Um, so in an ideal world, the audience, um, is kind of getting these little nuggets as, uh, as it goes through. Um, but it really is, um, the story of, uh, women in a women's oppression, um, kind of throughout history. And, um, I, I wanted to touch on a subject that's still unfortunately controversial in a lot of um, places, which is um, abortion and access to abortion. Um, so it's a, it's a piece that, you know, you, you might be coming to thinking like, oh, I'm going to see like a prequel to Dracula and there's going to be vampires and it's going to be really hokey and, you know, but, um, but the, the underlying theme 
um, is, you know, women and what happens when desperate people are in horrible kind of situations and the choices that they make that come out of that. Um, so yeah, it, it just kind of came from a, a moment of like reading Dracula and saying, um, I wonder what her story is, the brides, you know, he, you always see in any type of like adaptation of Dracula, he has the three like women concubines that are, are with him and do his bidding. And, um, in the novel, there's one that's kind of the ringleader and she's the leader. And I was just kind of like, I wonder what her story is. And from there, I just, you know, went into this whole, um, period piece, um, about women of, you know, a certain era and, um, the expectations that were on them to be mothers and produce children and heirs and, um, and kind of how, um, how to break out of that and how, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tough, you know, situation to be in and, and what kind of choices do you make and what kind of choices can you make for yourself? Um, so that's kind of, you know, what I was hoping to, um, to accomplish with this story in particular. Awesome. And can you set up the scene we're going to be listening to today? So this scene is um, the third scene in the play. Um, it's also the last scene of the first act. Um, and essentially prior to this, uh, Maria Carolina, our main character, has met um, this newcomer to town, Count Liliac, and um, she's planned a rendezvous with him at her home. Um, so She's waiting patiently for him, and uh, her, her daughter kind of stirs things up a little bit. All right. Let's take a listen. The doorbell rings. Maria Carolina is stunned. He is early. Louisa runs away from her and out of the hallway. Louisa! Louisa opens the door as Maria Carolina quickly follows her out to the hallway. Liliac is outside, waiting. Hello. You must be Mama's friend. Won't you please come in? Louisa does a baby curtsy as Liliac enters. He bows, playing along. You said ten. It's not even half past nine. My apologies. I'm afraid time blends together for me. Hello, Miss... Louisa, how do you do? How do you do? My name is Liliac. That's an odd name. Louisa, don't be rude. It is odd, isn't it? I I'm sorry, I put her down to bed, but... This is Lady. Hello, Lady. Lady looks like a doll one of my daughters had, when they were your age. How old are they? Much older than you. I'm five. As I said, much older. Louisa, what did I say? It's time for you and Lady to go back to sleep. Come along, Liliac. Won't you please wait in the parlor? I won't be long. Liliac nods and walks into the parlor. Maria Carolina brings Louisa down the hallway to the staircase. Are you sure that's your friend, Mama? What do you mean? Shouldn't he be Papa's friend? He's a boy. I'm allowed to have friends who are boys. Are you? Why wouldn't I be? Don't you think Friedrich and Joseph and Conrad are your friends? Joseph says he's going to be my husband. And I don't think he can be both husband and friend, can he? Don't you listen to Joseph. You're much too little to be thinking about husbands. Go on up. You don't need me to walk you back to your room, do you? What if the ladies are still there? Ah, yes, the ladies. If they are still there, you can put your foot down and tell them to shoot. Shoot! That's exactly right. Louisa goes up a few steps before her mother stops her. Louisa, don't tell your father about Liliac visiting. You want me to lie to Papa? No, not at all. Just don't mention it. That's very different from lying. Oh. 
I didn't know that. You're sure he's your friend? Your father owns everything that is mine. That's how marriage works. All I have are my friendships, those I can call my own. That's why I don't want your father to know. You understand, don't you? Yes, Mama. I won't say anything. Not a word to Nurse Hilda either. Good girl. I'll see you in the morning. Maria Carolina kisses Louisa. Louisa walks up the staircase, stomping her feet and calling out, Shoo! as a practice. Once she exits, Maria Carolina takes a deep breath and returns to the parlor. I'm terribly sorry about that. No, I'm sorry that I arrived early and spoiled your time together. She's very bright. Too bright. Like her mother. May I fix you a drink? Anything in particular you enjoy? I'll be fine with whatever you have. Maria Carolina grabs her own glass for a refill, then heads to the bar to prepare the drinks. Liliac watches her. She knows that he watches her. She's nervous, but she does her best to hide it. I see your plan worked. Not a servant in sight. They were all thrilled to have the night off. It took some serious coaxing to convince Nurse Hilda to leave Louisa, but eventually she came around. Carl will hear about it, of course, but it's... at least it's... well, it's... A convincing excuse. Yes. Maria Carolina hands him the glass of liquor. He raises his glass. She follows suit. As she drinks, Maria Carolina backs away. I didn't realize you had daughters. Two. Grown now. And their mother? Passed. Many years ago. I see. I mean, I'm sorry. Thank you. Is that why you're not looking for a wife? Too many memories? No. Memories fade. <clears throat> you don't want a male heir? This might be a radical thought, but truth be told, I find the whole institution of marriage to be rather archaic. A male heir is not important to me. The world has enough men as it is. That is so modern. And we're back. Uh, so first things first, um, I'm glad you mentioned Dracula before uh, <laughs> the piece, because I didn't, when I read this piece, um, I didn't necessarily pick up that it was specifically a prequel to Dracula, but I, mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorite plays, um, I, I wish I could remember the uh, the playwright, um, but it is a there's a brilliant adaptation of Dracula that I love. I saw it three times when the Barn Playhouse in Jeffersonville did it, uh, and then the Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble did the same script a couple years later, and I was very excited. It's a very it's a it's a great adaptation of the story. And what I liked about your uh, play was that you without hitting it over the head you incorporated some of the dracula mythos that has kind of gotten distorted over time like mm -hmm. there, there's there's nothing that there's nothing in the original dracula novel that implies or says that vampires can't eat or drink normal food besides blood mm -hmm. uh there's nothing that says they can't be out during the day in fact if i'm if i remember correctly dracula is very clearly up in the sunlight yeah. at one point uh yeah. in the book um so I, I so i really liked that um you were able to tell a vampire story without having to throw without having to kind of look through the rolodex and say like oh what if what did they add in uh, True Blood, or what did they add in right. Interview with a Vampire? That's oh, like he can't be 
he can't be out in the sunlight in the presence of a woman in a blue dress because he'll burst into flames or whatever. Um, yeah. So, so I, I really loved that. Um, and like I said before we started talking, just the the language just flows so easily and so naturally that at times I almost forgot it was a period piece. Um, right, yeah. And I, I also, I, I, I love the idea of it being a, a, a pro-women, you know, pro-choice versus pro-life argument because mm-hmm. it, it makes me think of um, one of my favorite musicals, uh, Into the Woods, being an allegory mm-hmm. for the AIDS crisis in the 80s, which not a lot right. of people pick up on anymore, but it, you just that idea of you go in to see a completely different show than you end up seeing. Um, exactly. So yeah, you... that was something that I definitely like wanted to make, um, you know, a part, uh, I, I wanted people to think that they were coming to see one type of show and then they get like something totally different, um, you know, kind of pulling the rug out from under them. Um, so that was definitely a, a, a goal that I had of just like, Oh yeah, we're going to go see a prequel to Dracula, but like, Oh no, there's a little bit more <laughs> to the, you know, underneath the surface of, of this story. And, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those people that like, if I feel like I'm being like too preachy, I get very like anxious and insecure. <laughs> so I would never, I would never write like the abortion play and like make it very obvious that, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to like layer it underneath vampirism and like you know the supernatural world and a period piece on top of it and and you know so that's something that i'm able to like comment on things that really matter and 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 are important to me but doing it in a a way that it feels like a little safer for me (laughs) so that's kind of how this like came about yeah so maria carolina which i i'm so glad you named before we started talking about the play because in the reading, I we kept going back and forth between Maria Carolina and Maria Carolina. So I'm glad Carolina, I know. Yeah. I'm glad my instinct was Carolina. So I, I'm glad that um, okay. I'm glad that I have the confirmation. Um, but no, she she's definitely a. I there's a strong sense about her. I I loved following her story. Um, but from the opposite end of the spectrum, what was the inspiration be- behind Elizabeth, her friend, and mm, somewhat yeah. confidant, if you can call someone who never stops blabbing everyone's gossip a confidant? <laughs> yes. I, you know, with um, with Elizabeth and Maria Carolina and their friendship, I really kind of wanted to, like, I, I pulled from some sort of, of my own um, background of, like, having friends that you've been friends with for, like, your entire life. And then you get to an age when all of a sudden you're like, why are we friends why again? We friends? Like we, <laughs> you know, like, you know, not in, in, not in like a malicious way, but like a way where, you know, you grow up and, and all of a sudden you're like, I'm, I'm kind of friends with you because we've been friends since we were like babies and we don't know anything mm-hmm. else. Um, and so their, their relationship in particular um, was kind of like, built on that sort of like those kind of friendships that I've had had in the past. And, you know, I'm still certainly friends with some of with those girls, but, you know, it's a different level of like deep friendship, um, you know, but anyways, um, yeah, her in particular, um, she was hard to write sometimes because, you know, especially um, writing from, you know, a modern woman's perspective, it's, it's a little tough to like write a character who doesn't, you know, is like, 
you know, pro-life. Um, it's, it's hard for me to sometimes like get into that, that mindset. Um, but you know, she is very much like a, a woman of her, of her time and her period, even though she, um, does certainly break the rules sometimes. Um, you know, there are some rules that she thinks are a little bit more flexible than others. And there's some that she's very stern on. So she has that kind those kind of like hypocritical tendencies. Um, whereas Maria Carolina's, I, I view her a little bit more as, you know, a woman who is a little bit more modern thinking, who's stuck in, in, you know, this time. And she's like, but why, like, why do we have to, you know, adhere to these rules? And, and why is it that this one's okay to break, but that one's not okay to break? Um, so a lot of their, the conflict in their, their friendship comes from those differentiating like ways of, of viewing the world that they live in. Well, I think it's interesting you say that because it's not even the it's not even that she is pro-life or that she has a different way of, you know, beliefs other than uh, Maria Carolina. But it's very much that the thing that you sadly still see a lot of in 2018, that that friend who claims to have their own you know, well-grounded, well-founded belief system, but their belief system is rooted in, well, this is the way it's always been, and this is what I'm told right. it's supposed to be, so that's what I believe. Yeah. And, exactly. And it's, I, yeah. I unfortunately, I mean, it, it's sad, there are so, I, some people, you talk about, like, the whole why are we friends thing, like, there are some people who, I, unfortunately, are not as a prominent in my life anymore because of that way of thinking, because um, it, it's not just a matter of you think differently than me. It's that you won't open yourself up to the fact that I'm hurting or I believe something. Exactly. Other. Yeah. You refuse to just kind of like let yourself, yeah, be open to new possibilities or, or new things. You'd rather just kind of stay with, um, you know, I, I always go back to like, um, you know, people staying in uncomfortable situations just because they're kind of like un- afraid to just try something new or different um, because mm-hmm. they'd rather like, you know, stay in the, in, in something, you know, they'd rather like, that's suffer my whole life. And, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I've been in that position like numerous times where I'm like, you know what? No, like I'm safe in my bubble, even though I'm kind of miserable. And, and, you know, it, it can be scary sometimes to like really open yourself up to something mm-hmm. new and different. And I mean, and, especially um, when it's unexpected and it's something that you haven't experienced necessarily. Yeah. 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 So those are all kind of themes that, um, that I think also like permeate through a lot of my work. Um, so yeah, it, it was definitely, um, it, it was, it was kind of like heartbreaking too, you know, to write these, these two yeah. women and like, and their friendship and you know i i don't want i i don't want to um you know like perpetuate that like women trying to tear each other down uh, you know stereotype but like it's it's real life sometimes you know and it and it can be really heartbreaking and so yeah those those moments were really tough to to create and elizabeth was a character that i did have to kind of um you know, could grapple with a lot. Um, and, you know, and even going forward um, in, you know, new drafts and as I rework the piece, you know, I think that um, she's, she's a character that I think um, is holding some secrets from me. Um, and so I, I'm kind of, yeah, like I'm kind of interested, um, especially with some of the feedback that you guys had gave me um, to kind of re-examine her characters um, as well. So, yeah. Well then, 
let, let's move on to a slightly less heavy uh, <laughs> aspect of play. <laughs> I'm curious about the. I, I'm a, I'm very big into fantasy. I you know as as I said, I created my own lore based on you know the worlds I grew up in uh, fictionally, but. Uh, mm-hmm. As heavily influential as Dracula was on this piece, uh, were there any aspects of the vampirism or the vampire characters in general that you kind of took license with or created new mythos for yourself? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question because one of the things that I think I definitely um, struggled with in earlier drafts of this play was like how um, faithful to be to like the source material and how to like decide what type of vampire story I want to tell because there are just so many of them. Um, And so that was something that I really had to grapple with because there would be scenes where I would be like writing and I'm like, wait a minute, like that, I don't know if that goes with the continuity of the novel. Like I have to go back and reread. And then I, you know, waste all this time, like worrying about (laughs) whether, you know, this, this is consistent with, you know, what Bram Stoker wrote. And so there, there did get, there did come a point in time where um, I just kind of had to like, let some of that anxiety like go and just be like, okay, I'm going to tell, you know, the story as I I want to. And then like, maybe I can, you know, go back and and tweak some things here and there. Um, Because the character of Liliac, who is um, Dracula, um, he was, (laughs) spoilers. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And it's funny too, because when I was like trying to figure out what to call him, because I'm like, I can't call him Dracula because then that gives it away immediately. Um, So I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure it's in the public domain, but I have to wonder if there's any kind of legality or is is there a state of Bram Stoker that you would need to license that through or? I fa- I'm fairly certain it's in the public domain, but I, yeah, I just wanted to like avoid that using that word at all. Um, but so I was like, yeah, trying to grapple with like, what do I call this guy? And like, you know, and how does he, am I going to have his language be the way that it was in the novel? And, and then eventually I was just like, you know what, I'm going to imagine him as, as he is in my brain. Um, because, you know, this is a prequel. It does take place about 100 years before the novel, so stuff can change. And, you know, so I I felt like I could um, work off the foundation of having, like, the vampire, like, mythology um, and then just kind of create my own and also just, like, you know, leave little nuggets of it at at certain points. It really doesn't, like, full-blown become, like, oh, hey, we're in a supernatural world until, like, the second act itself. Um, so I wanted to kind of like tease those elements and, um, and make them my own, but it was definitely something that was, um, was difficult in the beginning, um, because I was very like anxious about wanting to do it the right way. And then I was like, you know what, my way is the right way. (laughs) You know, it's funny because I actually, I had the same issue the first time, well, actually the only time I finished it, um, uh, uh, Wicked, the original, the the Mm -hmm. first, the first Wicked novel, um, because, Uh, Gregory Maguire, you know, bends over backwards a lot in that book to make it feel like it's the Oz of L. Frank Baum's world. Right. But there, it's definitely got some film influence, um, particularly her being green. Um, mm-hmm. and furthermore, there just, there's a couple things that don't match up. Like when Dorothy 
finally confronts the witch at the end and melts her, spoiler alert, um, this is a scene that is very explicitly shown in the book, and it plays very dissimilar to that. Like, there's other characters in the scene that aren't in The Wizard of Oz. There, You know, there's dialogue that Dorothy has that she doesn't have. The witch melts in a different way. And I, I, as a reader, I just kind of had to uh, kind of get around the fact that it, it's kind of its own world, basically. It's, it's yeah. heavily inspired by the book, but... You know, I I don't think I think at the Gregory Maguire I think probably went through the same thing as you, which is 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 being shackled to a book that was written in 1901, uh, or sorry, 1900. When did he write that? I believe it was 1901. I think 1901 sounds yeah. right. But you know, does a book written in 1901 <laughs> dictate my narrative if my narrative needs to bend and twist a little bit? So um, exactly. So I actually like this. I I am. I feel very, very uh, ashamed as as um, to say that as much as I was fawning over Dracula earlier, that I did not pick up that this was a specific prequel to Dracula. I definitely got the heavily the heavy inspiration, um, but I mm-hmm. feel like I should I need to read it again now, knowing that it is legitimately the character. Um, yeah, and that's one of the things that like you know it, it was funny because. Um, when I, as I mentioned, this was like a, a one-act play originally years ago. I think it was in like 2012. And um, I uh, I didn't tell like anyone really other than the people who were working on it what it was about. I was like, oh, it's a period piece. And like, you know, there's some weird funky stuff going on. But I didn't really like say anything. And um, when it was, we did like a workshop production of it, a couple of performances. And uh, my parents went and saw it. And um, the character Liliac, he was named something different at the time, uh, came out and started talking. And my dad turned to my mom and he goes, I think that's Dracula. And she's like, <laughs> what <are you> talking <laughs> about? <laughs> she was like, no, it's not. What are you talking about? And then once the, the show was over, a lot of people were like, wait, was he the devil? Like there were all of these different thoughts of like who right. he was. So then when it came time for me to like actually um, like write it as a full length, you know, I, I also kind of um, struggled with how much information to hint and at what points and you know i didn't want to like beat people over the head with it um but if i'm not mistaken i don't think the word vampire comes up is that right no it doesn't yeah it doesn't come up once um so yeah there's there's like worded you know words that suggest that um but i I didn't want different people like us like it's yeah it's i i I definitely picked up on it (laughs) Because I, because, because I defiantly watched all seven seasons of True Blood. I, so yeah. I'm, I'm well versed <laughs> in my vampire stuff. Good, I'm glad. Yes, there's always like an underlying, you know, thread. Some words that pop out, and you're like, oh, okay, I think this might be the kind of world we're dealing with. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it it it's been interesting. Like one of the things that I also really like just in my writing is playing the genre and like what are, you know, the kind of conventional rules of certain genres. And this one in particular is kind of like all over the place. Like it's a period piece and it's like a it's drama with elements of melodrama and it's a prequel and it's supernatural and it has horror elements. And so and um, it's kind of are actually some unexpected laugh moments uh, we found, which <laughs> I, I think is definitely the sign of a good drama that there, ha- there have to be some moments where you take a step back and say, it's okay. We can laugh. It's okay to laugh. This yeah. is, 
this is weird. Yeah, you have to. Let's Otherwise, you this. come out of it, like, dying. Yeah, no, exactly. You have to break up the, the heavy drama and tragedy with little moments of comedy. Um, but, yeah, so I think, like, one of the... So the, the prequel part was kind of, like, yeah, and a, a difficult thing to kind of grapple at first. But then once I kind of, like, let myself go with it, and, you know, I thought to myself, like, if people, you know, are going to get, like, annoyed because I didn't adhere to, like, this rule and that rule and that rule and make it, like, a 100%, like, no-hold-bar, like, completely, you know, um, faithful to Dracula, like, adaptation or pre or inspired by a prequel, it's like, well, then they you just go read the book or go see an adaptation right, of Dracula. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like, I wanted to, you know, there's always, you have to bring something different to it to make it a little bit unique and original. Um, so that was kind of my, once I got to that moment, um, I was able to really, like, dive into the play um, and, and you know, let all of those those things on the on my shoulder just kind of, like, roll off, so... Well, I think what's interesting is the, the the biggest challenge I've always found when it comes to sequels, my apologies, when it comes to prequels, is it, it's hard. I, I remember seeing this in a Cracked article, and it, the biggest flaw with most prequels is that unless they're done well, you know how they're going to end. And, mm-hmm. you know, like the Star Wars prequels, we got a lot of interesting information, but you're you're watching it waiting okay when is he gonna put on when is he yeah like that because that's what happens or um i'm I'm trying to think of some other good prequel-ish examples that kind of missed the mark because it was the story of well this is all right that's how that happened um so so with this one i think by by kind of making it the the whole Dracula prequel element kind of takes a back seat to her story to Maria Carolina's yeah. story which I think is the right way to go about it because there's it's not like you read like you said you picked out the sister characters the the women in Dracula and wanted to explore them but I feel like the average Dracula reader wouldn't necessarily think that that was an unfulfilled story that they needed so by taking that aspect of it I think I think you make it really work because it's a story that we don't necessarily know where it's going. We, you know, if you figure out he's Dracula, that's great. But the book of Dracula is not about, you know, how he got these women. So I think that's, that's a really, that's a really unique um, aspect. And I, yeah, I really need to read this again with and in my head put the word dracula wherever i see liliac and see if i i know right see if i react any different which in fairness i don't think i will i think i i have the same emotion for his for that character as i do to dracula manipulating uh uh amina and um Mm -hmm. oh my god i can't believe i blanked on lucy i almost said elizabeth because we were just talking about (laughs) elizabeth um exactly yeah yeah um so another recurring theme that I've been finding with our ears pieces lately is that uh, when we first started the Elephant Ears reading series, it was a, more often than not, it was like a first here. It was a first run of these mm-hmm. pieces. But more recently, I've been finding a lot of prominent playwrights have been coming to us after having their play heard or read or even performed in some way, shape, or form. You mentioned that you'd had a workshop of uh, an earlier version of this. We've had pieces recently where 
they've actually been staged and produced and Mm -hmm. there was still just something nagging away at the playwright that they wanted uh, a little clarity on. Um, So if you don't mind me asking, how did you uh, come across our program and what was it about our program that made you want to send it in and get kind of a second opinion? Yeah, so I found you guys on New Play Exchange, actually, which is, like, such an amazing resource and tool for, for playwrights. Um, Tess was so just talking guys, about that in the last episode. Uh, yeah, yeah, you popped up on, like, the organization of the day or something, because I check it every day just because, you know, I, I want to, like, see what's happening. And and, um, and so I looked at your website, and I saw you had this, this opportunity, and, um, and I was just really excited because... Um, you know, this play had, you know, gone through so many different versions and drafts, and I had worked on it um, in class, in playwriting class, but, you know, I hear like 10 pages a week. So um, this draft as it is, I haven't heard read out loud from beginning to end. So just the fact that you guys do that and um, and record it and, and send it is like so helpful because, you know, I've had so many teachers say, like, you really don't fully know the play until you've actually heard it completely out loud because the play okay. is supposed to, be, to be, yeah. yeah, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be spoken. Um, so, so that in itself was just like super exciting. And then um, the feedback as well um, is so helpful because I'm just one of those people where like, Nothing, um, you know, really like gets me more excited to write than hearing people's feedback. And this this play had been um, I'd been working on it like so steadily for like so long and it was kind of becoming like an isolated thing and it wasn't getting as much like, you know, you know, reads from friends or whatever. And so I needed like, again, like a second opinion um, to to just kind of reiterate like, okay, yes, the, the areas that I'm still a little like unsure of are the areas that maybe you guys didn't track as well. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, you're validating that I'm, I'm going in the right direction with what I need to tackle next in the next draft. Um, and also, yeah. And also just like, you know, getting to hear, um, what you, what grabbed you and like, what was interesting and, you know, just like having things pop up and being like, Oh, I didn't really think of it that way, but that's cool that they thought of it that way. So it just, it opens up this whole, like, you know, my brain just goes into overdrive and I'm like, Oh, great. I got all this new info. And, and, um, and so, yeah, I think what you guys are doing is like really, really helpful for playwrights. Cause I think that we are just always so desperate to like, you know, hear things read out loud and get what people, you know, think about them um, because it's such a collaborative art form. Um, you know, I used to be one of those people, like I would, when I was in my really, you know, introverted um, writer phase where I was just like writing <laughs> and it wasn't going, it wasn't going out into the world and it wasn't, and it wasn't getting any better because I wasn't letting people see it and respond to it. Um, so the fact that you guys do that and that's like kind of part of your mission is just like exactly what I think a lot of playwrights crave and need in the, um, in the process. Well, I appreciate that very much. We, we love having the opportunity available. Um, and I, I'm very excited to see where third bride goes next. I hope you keep me in the loop because I thoroughly enjoyed this piece and, I, there were I had just as many laughs and sighs and uh, moans as I did shared looks with my fellow readers of 
for lack of a better term, what the fuck just happened uh, yeah. <laughs> moment. And I mean that in the best possible way. Um, Good, I'm glad. <laughs> so before we wind down, I always like to end on a fun little theater question. Um, and I'm trying to make them a little more New York unique because okay. uh, a lot of them have just been, what character would you like to drink with? Um, so, mm. <laughs> um, so I want to go back through the foray of plays that you've read or experienced throughout the years and think of all of the characters we've lost and my question is if you could have Liliac or Dracula however you'd like to respond Mm -hmm. uh refer to him um (laughs) save one character from any play uh to bring them into the world of vampires who would you pick and how do you think that would affect the other people in that piece hmm a great question um my first thought was um was miss julie um because i feel like that yeah i don't know why she just popped into my head i because i feel like there's a lot of elements of her just this kind of like the the desire and the repression and all of these you know emotions kind of uh, grappling with each other um i feel like I feel, I don't know. I feel like she would be a good vampire. (laughs) 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 And then they'd probably kill everyone else and just like, you know, I don't know why. I feel like she would kind of actually take to that life um, pretty well. And I think he'd find her very interesting and intriguing. I'm going to go with that. My my thing, because I I have, I realized in the past few episodes, I have kind of, uh, um, I've kind of cheated. I have not actually thrown my hat into the ring with them. I just kind of put the playwright on the spot. But, um, I have to wonder if the second act of, uh, well, second act, I, the second half of Romeo and Juliet would be different if Mercutio uh, had been uh, saved by, uh, by yeah. Because um, now you would, would he be out for revenge against Romeo or would he yeah. align himself uh, against the Capulets? That's, or would he just be as flamboyantly wonderfully partying gay as he always has been Um, i was gonna say i feel like they would be an interesting uh yeah he'd they'd be an interesting team that's a really i didn't yeah he would definitely he would definitely be like a true blood era like i'm not gay i'm a vampire so that means i have sex with everybody Yes, yes. He would definitely fall into that category. Well, Brianna, thank you so, so much for coming on and uh, talking with me today. Thank you. It was, uh, it was awesome. This was super fun. Thank you. Tell your friends. <laughs> totally. I um, will. I'm going to toot you guys' horn. And for any other playwright out there, aspiring or current, uh, if you have any piece you are working on, no matter what stage it's in, if you would like a second look at it, please, please, please send it to erpsubmissions at gmail.com. Remember, every story deserves to be heard, so join our elephant herd today.